call. Romans chapter 12 and verse number nine. Would you stand as we read God's word in Romans chapter 12, verse nine? If you are new here, uh, I don't know if you heard the statistic. There's a statistic that just came out here in, in, in Collier County. One out of every two people is good looking. So look to your left, look to your right. If it's not them, it must be you. Romans 12, 9. The Holy Spirit says through Paul, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. You may be seated. Uh, we've been in the month of November, been looking at the heart of generosity, uh, the uh, head of generosity, the hands of generosity. And today we're going to talk about the home of generosity. We're going to look at the topic of hospitality. You know, we live in a world of loneliness. I don't want you to raise your hand, but, but how many of you are struggling with loneliness? You know, crushing loneliness is probably one of the most painful, terrible things that people can endure. Um, a lot of people this time of year, from Thanksgiving to Christmas, really struggle with loneliness. It seems to spike. Uh, suicides are, are higher this time of the year because people just live with, with loneliness. According to a, a survey uh, on the, on, uh, from the Survey Center on American Life, the, the percentage of Americans who say that they have no close friends has actually quadrupled since 1990. 54% uh, of Americans report that they either sometimes or always feel like no one knows them well at all. 40% of Americans say that they have zero close friends or zero confidants. And, and we are living in a mental health crisis. And I think part of what has caused this, I mean, we went through COVID, but I think part of what's caused this mental health crisis is that we're living in a post-Christian secular world. And in a post-Christian secular world, there really is no purpose in life. There is no meaning in life. We are just uh, pretty much cosmic accidents trying to survive and, and outwit and outlast everyone. And so with that, there, there really is no purpose, no meaning in life. Because if there is no God, then there's really nothing to live for. And, and if you come to that place where you have nothing to live for, then that's an existential crisis in which you really don't know how to operate. And that's why many people in our country are just living lives of quiet desperation and loneliness. But our Christian worldview, the word of God tells us that, no, 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 you're not a cosmic accident. There is a God and that God created you and that God created you with a purpose and that purpose is to worship and enjoy him forever. That this Christian biblical worldview says that everything that you have is a gift from God and your life is to be lived for God. And the beauty of the Christian worldview is this is that Jesus came into this world. He left his home to come to this world to take those who are strangers and enemies and make them family and friends. See, chronic loneliness should never be a part of the Christian life. And what we want to be known for here as a church is a church where everyone is welcomed because Jesus has welcomed everyone. Amen. 
We're here in the book of Romans, and, and I know we've, we've spent some time in 2 Corinthians, but, but I just really felt led to this passage because this passage speaks to the topic I want to talk about today, and that's, that's the, the topic of hospitality. I, I said this will be a different message. Normally, every Sunday, we do line upon line. We go through books of the Bible, but, but today I felt led to this, and so as you get to Romans, Romans is one of the greatest theological books in the Bible. And Paul here masterfully presents from chapters 1 through 11 the basis and foundation of our Christian life, and that is the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. And so in chapter 12, Paul now says, in light of what Christ has done for you, here's how you are to live. And at the beginning of chapter 12, he enumerates spiritual gifts. These are gifts that are given to believers to be used in the world to expand the kingdom. And then from there, he begins in what we see as verse number nine is a list of Christian virtues. These are, these are not special gifts given to some, but these are Christian virtues that are to be for everyone who calls himself a follower of Christ and who has been filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what a transformed life looks like. And so in these five verses that we just read, Paul gives 13 commands, takes about 15 seconds to read, but an entire lifetime to obey. And here we see the heart of Christianity. And today, as we look at that, we're continuing our thoughts of generosity. And I want to remind you that generosity is the overflow of God's grace in my life based on the generosity of Jesus. And so today, one of the best ways to live generously is by practicing hospitality towards others based on the hospitality of Jesus towards you. So let's just unpack that. Number one, we want to ask the question, what is hospitality? Now, verse number nine, Paul here grounds us in that first virtue. He says, let love be genuine. That is, let it be without hypocrisy. Let it be authentic. Have you ever had someone who, who you knew didn't really love you, but said they did? Paul says, let your love be genuine. Don't, don't let it be hypocritical. Don't try to make the outside look better than the inside. This, this whole concept here, you know, sometimes Southern hospitality has a name and, and that is that they smile to your face but then stab you in the back. See, we're living in a world of fake love. We're living in a world in which people call something love but it's not really love, it's just self-serving. See, real love is not self-serving. Real love is self-sacrificial. Paul actually said in verse number three that we are to not look or think too highly of ourselves. Real love seeks to meet the needs of others for the sake of others, not just for myself. And so we don't have time to go through these entire, this entire list of Christian virtues, but we want to look in verse 13 because verse 13, he really gets to where the rubber meets the road on genuine love. He says that genuine love contributes to the needs of the saints. Now that word contribute is not just putting a couple of dollars in a hat and moving on. The word contribute means to share in, to share in the needs of others. Now it does involve money, but it's not just money. It's more than money. It's more than just giving a couple of dollars, saying a prayer and moving on. It is actually this whole concept of genuine love is that you enter into a partnership with someone who's struggling that you feel their burden, that their burden is your burden and their pain is your pain and their hardship is your hardship. And listen, that's very countercultural from our 21st century Western individualistic mindset. But 
Paul says in the Christian community, we are to share in the needs of others. So that's why we do love Naples boxes. That's why we practice hospitality. That's why we have a benevolence ministry here. That's why Christians get actively involved in the lives of other Christians. And so that's a way to show genuine love. But then Paul goes from preaching to meddling because he's going to get even deeper. He says, not only contribute to the needs of the saints, but then he says, seek to show. That in the Greek could be, mean to be eager to show, to take the initiative, to do something with intense effort. Just like I was watching Kentucky beat Louisville, I was doing so <laughs> eager to do so. There was an intense effort on my part. Because you know, if you cheer for your team just right, they'll win. That's not what this verse means at all. Here's what this verse means. It means to do something with an intense effort. So Paul says, with an intense effort, show hospitality. Now the word hospitality here is the word philoxenia. Now I know that blessed your heart. Philos is where we get our word Philadelphia from and Philadelphia cream cheese. It's brotherly love. Xenos is strangers. We get our word xenophobia from it. Xenophobia is the fear of strangers. Philoxenia in the Greek here means a lover or a love of strangers. That's what hospitality is. It's loving people that you don't necessarily know or loving people that you don't necessarily like or loving people that are not like you or loving people that cannot repay you. Now, hospitality was, big, uh, was a big issue in first century ancient history. Because there were no holiday inns. There were no Hiltons or Marriott's. Most of the time, if you were traveling, you, you couldn't just go to the, even the Ramada Inn. There was no Ramada Inn. There was a Nada Inn. There was nothing. <laughs> and so you had to depend on the kindness of strangers because travel was dangerous and travel was diff uh, difficult. And so the ancient the ancient Greco-Roman world actually had a code for hospitality. The, the god of hospitality in the Greco-Roman world was Zeus. And so if you uh, did something that broke the hospitality code, Zeus would get you. And the, the hospitality code had four la layers to it. The first level was the invitation. So if you came into a new town and you needed to stay the night, you would go to the city gate and there you would kind of let the people at the city gate know, hey, I need a place to stay. And then someone from the town would come in and then the next stage is they would invite you based on being, the next stage is being screened. And so they would find out who you were, where you're coming from, who your people are. Normally you would have letters of commendation saying you're not crazy. Uh, and then they would screen you to make sure that you weren't an enemy or a thief or a murderer, okay? And so after you passed the screening, you would then be brought to the home and that would be the third stage, which would be provision. Your feet would be washed and then you would be brought into the house where a feast would be served. Once you have been comforted and once you have been refreshed and the last thing was to part, you, had to, you could only stay two days. And so that was the code. Well, hospitality meant literally opening your home to people you didn't know and giving them blessings and refreshment. So that was in the mindset of hospitality. But what the idea here is even further in the New Testament takes it to the next degree. Paul says, I want you to pursue it. Pursue it because you love people. Love is the basis. It's a sign of spiritual maturity. See, if, 
The opposite of hospitality is xenophobia. It's racism, elitism, classism, pride and prejudice. And so a simple definition, let me give you a simple definition of hospitality. A simple definition is a Christ-driven, selfless willingness to sacrifice our resources for the good of others. It's a selfless willingness to sacrifice our resources for the good of others. The idea is it is a creation of free space where the stranger can enter in and become a friend instead of an enemy. Now, this idea of hospitality gives us something that really is important. The whole concept of hospitality gives us the modern idea of hospital. You ever been to a hospital? Now, hospitals were not in the ancient days, and even when you, you move on, because Christianity, Christians are really what started hospitals. And we think of a hospital as just a very expensive pl place to stay the night. <laughs> like, listen, the most expensive place to stay in town is not the Ritz-Carlton, okay? <laughs> you go up to the hospital, it's way more expensive. <laughs> but what Christianity and how we get hosp the hospital is... It, it was meant to actually serve the poor. It was a poor house. Poor people would go there. It was a shelter. It even later on in the Middle Ages became an inn for out-of-town guests. And then eventually it became a place of medical care. The, uh, there's another word we get from this. It's a French word, hotel. That's where it comes from the derivative of hospital and hospitality. It's a place where you were refreshed, a place where you were comforted. And so here, this concept, Paul says, I want you to seek to show hospitality. Now, this isn't a matter of choice. It's not a matter of age or money or social standing or house size or economic ability. It's actually a, a, a matter of obedience to God. Throughout the Bible, there are these mentions of this, but one of my favorites is Hebrews 13, 2, in which the writer says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. When you bless a stranger, when you bless someone who you don't know, you have no idea who you're blessing. Now, this is referring to Genesis 18, where Abraham blessed three angels, one of which may have been the pre-incarnate Christ. But this whole idea of stranger, sometimes when we think of stranger, it's someone that we've never met or someone that we meet for the first time. But, but actually, this concept is, of the stranger is someone who may be culturally or ethnically or politically or religiously different than us. The New Testament idea of a stranger is someone who is poor or the orphan or the widow or the foreigner or the refugee or the outsider. You know, Naples in Collier County is full of people who are not from here. Last year, 319,000 new people moved to Florida. That's a lot of people, 319,000 new residents. Let's just, let's just do something. I did this in the last service. It was pretty cool. How many of you have moved here in the past five years? Raise your hands. See, look at all these strangers, okay? <laughs> That's a lot of people. And therefore, because we have so many new people that come, this church should be known as being the most hospitable churches in America. That we should be known by that. 
We should be known by, hey, you go to, you go to First Naples, they love you, they take care of you, they, they really have an interest in you. Man, you, you go to church there and people care about you. They wanna make sure that you are loved. You know, they even sometimes they'll invite you out to lunch after church and pay for it. <laughs> Amen? Amen? And so if any of you get invited today, don't overthink it, just say yes. Hospitality, let's go back to that definition, is a Christ-driven, selfless willingness to sacrifice our resources for the good of others. So then how do we do it? And I told you this is a different sermon, so let's, but let's kind of unpack this. How do I do this? If this is such a, and I, I could spend an hour, and I'm, you're glad I'm not, on how big hospitality is in the Bible. Well, how do I do it? Showing hospitality calls for for this. It calls for an open home, an open schedule, an open ear, and an open wallet. Now, right now, I'm gonna, this is confession time with Pastor Allen. I struggle with it. Anybody else? I like it. I like to experience it, but I struggle with it. You know why? Because it involves giving away things I like. When you show hospitality, you are giving away things you value the most to others you may not know, you may not like, or may not, they may not be able to repay you. So how do we do it? Number one, open home. An open home is a sign of an open heart. Rosaria Butterfield, in her great book, The Gospel Comes of the House Key, says the following. She says, Radical, radically ordinary hospitality is this. Using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors family of God. Radical Christian hospitality seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors family of God. Radical ordinary hospitality is a way of life that sees every day as an opportunity to practice hospitality from right where you are. I love what she says here. She says, you don't have to be somebody else to do this. You have to be you. Now, some of you are like, well, preacher, I, I, bless, I love having people over to my house. I love entertaining people. Listen, entertainment and hospitality are not necessarily the same thing because often entertainment is about impressing people. This is where you have to have your inner Martha Stewart or your inner Joanna Gaines. And so entertainment, the reason why Christian hospitality is not the same thing as entertainment is because entertainment in your home often leads to the exclusion of people unlike you. Because, well, not only exclusion, but it also leads to performance. And that performance often comes with strings attached. So think about this. Christian hospitality has no strings attached. When you entertain somebody, so here's what you do. You and your wife or you and your husband, you sit down and you think, man, I'm gonna have somebody over at my house. And so, you know, I'm gonna, man, I, I, you know, they invited us a few months ago and we went out and they, you know, it was a great time. So we, we have to invite Sally and Bill. Um, and then, you know, there's Jack and, and Jill. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't really like Jack. Jack is kind of a jerk. But what, what about Frank and what about uh, Joanne? I like Frank and Joanne. So let's have them over to our, you know, and Frank, man, he makes a lot of money. They have a really nice house. And so maybe they'll invite us to come over and we'll bring the kids to go swimming. So, so there you are and you invite all these people. You don't invite Jack and Jill. 
because they went up the hill, okay? And so you, here you, you have your, your guest list here and now you have to make sure that the house looks amazing, right? Here's what my mom, you know, my mom used to say this. She said, she said to, to her friends, she says, if you wanna come see me, come anytime. If you wanna see the house, make an appointment. <laughs> you gotta get the house looking good. You gotta have the food tasting. I mean, it's gotta be your, the latest, greatest food network style food, you want the experience. And so the entire time they are there, you are worried. You're worried, is my house clean enough? Did the kids like dirty up the toilet? I mean, is there stuff going around in the toilets, you know? Did they make sure they clean, wipe the seat off, if you know what I mean? Those of you who are parents of boys. You gotta make sure, listen, there's nothing, you, you wanna, clean. I mean, it's good to have a clean house, okay? It's good to have some good food, but that's not hospitality, that's entertainment. Entertainment will actually miss out on the most important thing, spending time with the people in your home. And entertainment always leaves you feeling obligated to do something nice so that others will pay you back. Hear the words of Jesus. Be prepared to be convicted. Hold your heart like this, just carefully, because it's coming. Like Fred Sanford. You ever watch Sanford and Son? <laughs> Middle schoolers have no idea. Jesus says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just mic drop. Jesus says, don't just invite people you, who can pay you back. Invite people who have nothing to offer you at all. Wow. Anybody convicted? Yeah. Hmm. Well, we have an altar call in a minute. We're all gonna roll around like, holy cow. But here's why. The reason we struggle with having an open home is because we really live in a closed society. And it's because it's how you view your home. There are two ways you can view your home. The one way is what I would call the American way. And that is your home is your castle. That actually came from the 16th century British philosopher, Sir Edward Coke, not to be confused with Coca-Cola. Who said a man's home is his castle? That concept of the 16th century Britain translated itself and migrated itself into the American thinking of the right to privacy. And that right to privacy serves as a bedrock for American jurisprudence. And that is many laws and many court decisions have been based on this right to privacy. And I believe in a right to privacy, but just because there is a right to privacy doesn't mean we should live private lives. Our house is not just a fortress we can barricade ourselves in to enjoy. One writer said this, he says, the way typical Christians think about their home isn't all that different from how typically non-Christians think. They think it's a place that I eat, sleep, relax, and entertain myself by myself. See, the reason why we struggle to have open homes is we think it's ours. It's our fortress. 
It's our castle. That's one way to view your home. The second way to view your home is your home is a gift. In Espanol, mi casa es su casa. See, you didn't know I could speak Spanish. Muy bien. Amen. Mi casa es su casa is translated in English, my house is your house. But I want you to think about this. It's not even my house. If I really understand the Bible, it's actually God's house. Your house is God's house. Your room is God's room. Good hospitality understands that your house is God's house. It's a gift from God. I remember when I prayed, you know, I remember when we moved here a couple of years ago, sticker shock. Just want you to know, sticker shock. Now, some of you are, well, pastor, you have to understand down here in Naples, we are really close to the beach and we are lifestyles of the rich and famous. Anyway, so I don't know where that came from. Probably the devil. Um, but I finally got, bought a home here, you know. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and my house, I'm going to be straight up with you folks. It's, it's been a struggle in my life to see it's God's house. You know, early in my marriage, I really didn't want people over. I'd work all day, I'd come home. The last thing I would want is people in my house eating my food, dirtying my dishes, leaving me to clean it up and then pay the bill. When, when our kids were little, you know, I was very self-conscious about the size of the house, the condition of the furniture. But then all of a sudden, as my kids got a little older, and I begin to just see God open my eyes a little bit more. I just begin to see that this is God's house. It's not my house. And so my wife and I really felt convicted. We had a lot of people that had younger people that felt called into ministry and they really were looking for a place to go. And so we did a Bible study in our home on Thursday nights. And here's a picture of one. And every Thursday night we would have this many kids plus my kids would be involved in this and we would just feed them and we would do we would study the Bible together and we did this for years. And you know, four, four of the young people in there are in full-time ministry right now. Uh, one is, is extremely, God's using him in amazing ways. He's, he's on TikTok and social media, uh, Elijah Lamb, and God's using him in amazing ways. And many of them are serving in ministry. I'm really proud of them, but it's because we just opened our home. Here's what you have to understand. People benefit from a good conversation more than they do a perfect house. So here's how you can use your home. Host a small group. For the next few months, you're gonna hear about opportunities to host a home group. You wouldn't believe it, but on this 100-acre campus, we're out of space. We need people to step up and say, you know, I'm gonna host a home group. Or host a game night. Or host your neighbors. You say, I don't want them inside. Well, then put them outside. Amen. The Reutbergs here, they, they have a, a Jesus party, right? You have a Jesus party in your neighborhood and you invite people to come. Student ministry, our student ministry, God is blessing it, especially our high school ministry. Hey, we need host homes. 
Invite someone to come over to eat. Host an intern in the summer. House, we're about to have some church planning residents. Maybe you'll open your home to do that. Or maybe some of you who only live in your house like two days a year, you know, those other uh, 363 days, open your homes up for other people. You know, and maybe you're saying, you know, one of the ways you do is, is to foster a kid. Or, or adopt a child. You know, I love our fam ministry here, our foster and adoption ministry, and it's amazing to see God do some things. Here's another thing. You know, I pastor, pastor, pastor my house. It's, you know, invite people to your spiritual house. This is your spiritual house. Invite them to your church. Serve as a greeter. Serve on the hospitality team. Uh, Shelly Jeffcoat is now our new guest services director, and she would love for you to sign up on this little card and put your name. We could use your help. Did you realize that we had over, four, over 4,200 first-time guests last year on Sundays? Amen? I think some of them came back. I mean, but we want all of them to come back. It's all about hospitality. Open your home. Number two, I got to hurry up. Oh, my goodness. Um, open your schedule. The most important commodity you have is time. And guess what? There's a new study that just came out. I just made it up. Everyone's busy. <laughs> we don't get any more time than the time that we have, but how we use our time shows how we love other people. I found that we fill our schedules with all the things that we love that are just for us and just about us. And here's the other thing. We want other people to open their schedule for us, namely our doctors. Amen. You know what I'm talking about. You call it a doctor. See you in a month. I'm dying. See you in a month. <laughs> Hope you make it, okay? <laughs> we want others to open their schedule for us, but we won't open it for them. 52% of Americans say that they're constantly doing two or more things at once, like half of you right now. I mean, scrolling on social media, listening to me. Trying to take a nap, okay? <laughs> it happens. 74% of parents say that they are too busy to enjoy life. Amen? Anybody? Yeah. And you take your kids to, the, to school, then you go to work, and you pick up your kids to school, you take them to practice, you pick them up from practice, you feed them, you go to bed, rinse and repeat. The average American says that they only have 26 minutes of free time a week. I don't know how true that is. It was a survey that was done by the government, so it's got to be halfway right. <laughs> a recent article said that being busy is the new social status symbol. So now you, I'm busy. But here's what you got to say. More than people need our money, people need our time. More, listen, the most important thing you can give your children is your time, not your money. But in our Neapolitan world, it is a whole lot easier to give our money than to give our time. And a lot of us don't practice hospitality because we are too busy and we would rather just give spare time and pocket change and have someone else do it. Listen, when you are a part of this church, this church and the staff of this church is not a concierge service. This is not a cruise ship. This is a battleship that's working its way to be an aircraft carrier to launch people from Naples to the nations. And that takes time. How do you use your schedule? I'm so glad you asked. One, plan some time in your week to invest in somebody else. Be willing to serve in our church. 
Be willing to serve in, 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 in different capacities. I mean, listen, you should thank God for our preschool ministry. Now, we're busting at the seams. I mean, God is doing some amazing things in our preschool ministry. And, and, and we're glad when kids come into service because, you know, sometimes, you know, like every now and again, one of the kids will get the spirit and speak in tongues. And it's kind of interesting to hear them in the service, if you know what I mean. We do have childcare though and preschool ministry and, and, and kids ministry and student ministry. Hey, we need you to serve and volunteer in that. But here's the thing, don't let your default mode be no, I'm busy. Don't be that, don't, don't say that. I'm working on that. Listen, I gotta work on that. So how you doing? I'm busy. Get that out of your mouth. Three, 17 more to go. <laughs> Open ear. We live in a day, I wrote this this week. We live in a day where everyone wants to be heard, but no one wants to listen. And as a pastor, people are desperate for someone to listen to them. And I'll tell you straight up, it can be exhausting, but it's a tangible way to show someone you love them. Think about this, in your life, has there ever been a time where you wanted to tell somebody something and no one was willing to listen? In our ADHD world, and listen, I've said this before, if you weren't born with ADHD, you got it now, okay? We have listening problems. We are tone deaf, self-centered, and many of us live in an echo chamber, and we are too busy fighting with each, with each other, one-upping each other, or talking over each other to listen to anyone. Our problem is not a hearing problem in America. Our problem is a listening problem. One of the ways that you're gonna solve the issue of racism, which is a sin, is instead of just talking over each other, listen to each other. Loving the stranger means listening to people who are different than you. James 1:19, be quick to hear and slow to speak. Reality is, Unless Jesus returns, you're gonna to talk to someone this week. It's gonna be your kids, your spouse, your boss, your friends, your neighbor, your client, or a stranger. Here's what I wanna ask you to do. Take time to listen. One of the ways that you can do evangelism and one of the first parts of evangelism is listening before you speak. Seek to understand before being understood. Dane Ortland said this, he says, Christians should be famous for their listening. A quiet, neglected, little talked about way we serve and love others is by listening to them. To listen to someone is to break out of the prison of self-centeredness where we all tend to live. It's to get out of ourselves and to leave the self behind. To hear what another says and to resist the urge to think of what you're going to say next is far more important than you can imagine. It is more than an auditory, auditory phenomenon. It's to shift your focus from self to another, to step into their reality, to bear their life with them. It's fundamentally love. Open home, open schedule, open ear, open wallet. You knew it was coming. <laughs> the biggest cost of hospitality is feeding people. Like I said, for years, we had eight to 12 high school, college age kids in our home. It cost a lot of money. And now with inflation, I wouldn't even wanna know but it's worth it. First Peter 4, 8 says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. 
show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I don't know about you, but I can be nice to people and grumble at the same time. Anyone else? <laughs> you start watching people. Man, they're really gonna eat all that. <laughs> they're probably gonna throw it away. A kid eats like a bird and he's got a plate full of food. I wonder if I could put that in the fridge and my kids wouldn't know. <laughs> Why should we do it? Why? Why should we be hospitable? It's the third point. Paul tells us that this command is all grounded on what he says in verse number one. He said, this is in the King Jimmy. I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Now in modern English, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. The, the reason we do these things is because of what's been done for us. The gospel imperatives come from the gospel indicatives. Those who you know what I mean? In other words, he's saying because Jesus has been hospitable to you, you should be hospitable to others. Jesus sought us when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. And if you are a Christian... You're no longer a stranger. You're no longer an enemy. You are a welcomed, loved child. That's what we're saying. I'm already loved. I'm already chosen. And that's enough. You know, the story of the Bible is the story of God's hospitality. Genesis chapter one and two, God creates the heavens and the earth. God steps on the platform of nothing and creates everything. And he creates the world and everything in it to be the home for humanity. He gives humanity everything that they would ever want and he serves as the gracious guest and he gives to humanity, Adam and Eve, his time and attention. He showers them with supernatural hospitality and yet, what do they do? They reject God's hospitality, rebel against him and now sin divides God from man and man from God. But yet, God did not leave it there. God promises to restore humanity back to their home with him. Throughout the passage of time, God calls a man by the name of Abraham, Father Abraham. And he calls this couple, Abraham and Sarah, and gives them a promise of a homeland and to bless them forever. And through that couple, God will form a nation in a strange land, not in the promised land, but in the strange land. And God promises them in the strange land that they will have a future homeland. And when they get to that future homeland, they are to love the strangers because they were once strangers. When they get to this homeland, God gives them a tabernacle. Then he gives them a temple where he would physically come and visit with his people and fellowship and give them restoration. And then the prophets would call for a day where God would one day permanently make his home with people. And then in the fullness of time, a guy who came from heaven by the name of Jesus came. He lived among the people. He showered people. He left his home and came to this planet and showered people with love and bread and wine and comfort. 
And he promised that one day he would return to bring his people to their eternal home where he would welcome them forever, where there would be no sin or sickness, darkness, pain, evil, or separation. But yet for Jesus to bring us home, he had to be cast out of his home. Jesus left his home so that we can come into his home. He was cast out so we could be brought in. Jesus endured the pain of separation and loneliness because he loved us. And Jesus is teaching us, Paul is teaching us that as Jesus has loved us, we are to love others. Stay with me. Hospitality is a way to join God in opening doors and inviting people to come into his family. Just as God is a gracious host who constantly welcomes wayward sinners home, we must be on the forefront of welcoming people who are not like us and we may not like to bring them into his forever home. Romans 15, seven says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Do you understand that if you are alive today, you are enjoying the hospitality of Jesus, that Jesus opened his home, made our hearts his home through the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus opened his schedule, came to us in the fullness of time to meet every one of our needs. Jesus opens his ears and listens to every one of our problems. How many times a night do you come and just cry out to God? And he listens and he cares and he says, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. And then he opens his wallet and gave us the riches of heaven so that we can have what we do not deserve, a home. A home. You ever heard the saying, home is where the heart is? The reality is, is that our our heart is never at home here. You know, why we love Thanksgiving and why we love holidays is because we get to have this nostalgic feeling of home. Either we go back home and with family and friends, or we have people at our home and family and friends come and and we have our kids and our grandkids and we just have this feeling of home. But yet, as good as the food is and as great as the football games are and as fun as it is to have people, it gets old right? And we're longing for home. Does anybody have that longing for home? There was a movie in 1982. If you want to really think how old you are, think how long ago 1982 was. It's 41 years ago. I wasn't even born. You're old. In 1982, there was a movie that changed science fiction movies forever. It's a movie by Steven Spielberg, E.T. Up to this point in movie history, alien movies were scary movies. Aliens were bad. Humans had to kill the aliens, save the world. But in E.T., the alien actually feels like a person with emotions and feelings. Now, for some of you in middle school, this is ancient history. This is before the iPhone. The most iconic part of the movie 
was when E.T. said he wanted to phone home. And all throughout this movie, E.T., who left his home, is wanting to go back to his home. Well, we're like E.T. This world's not our home. Jesus is our home. And our longing and dissatisfaction in this life is because we long to be home with him forever. We no longer want to be a stranger. We want to be a family at home. And here's the deal. If you are a Christian, one day you will go home. You'll go to your forever home. You'll never have to move again. You'll never have to be alone again. You'll never have to be afraid anymore. You will be at home. In C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, in that last book, The Last Battle, here is what happens when they finally enter into their home. Here's what they say. I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I didn't know it now, till now. The reason why we love the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. Until that day comes where we go home, let us live generously like Jesus. Let us have open homes and open schedules and open ears and open wallets to demonstrate the hospitality of Jesus. And if you are here today and you feel alone, you don't have to be alone anymore. Jesus died on the cross so that you'll never have to be alone anymore. He rose from the dead and he promises, I will never leave them. I will never, no, never, no, never forsake them. He will never abandon you if you give your life to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Make us more like Jesus. Lord, help us to love others as you have loved us. Forgive us, God, where we do not show hospitality. And God, if there's anyone here online or in this room that doesn't know you as Savior, God, would today be the day that they would finally come home to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.